When I look at um, how I came to where I am now, and, I, and I, I am one of those people who believes that we are, where, where we are today is a combination of two things. It's a combination of our disposition, which is our makeup. Some people are more introverted, some are more extroverted, um, some people are more high-strung than others, and so all those things, that, that personality, uh, those personality traits factor into who we are. The other part of it, though, is lived experience. It's everything that we have learned, everything that we have seen, everything we've been socialized to see. So when I was growing up in eastern North Carolina, uh, rural North Carolina, very rural North Carolina, the son of, of a preacher, uh, we never talked about suicide as being an issue that impacted black people. In fact, it was the opposite. I was told that we didn't die by suicide. It was just not, it was a white people problem. It wasn't a black people problem. Um, my father pastored for 48 years. I grew up socialized in the church, socialized also to see and to believe that the church was a gateway to the black community. So what was important to the black community was talked about in the church, and the church was also the vehicle to let the external community know what was important to the black community. But in all the 48 years my father pastored, and this is no um, aspersion on him uh, or any of his colleagues, but I never heard my father or any of his peers talk about mental health in the church. Um, so everything that I learned told me it was not an issue for us to be concerned about. We also grew up um, as black people hearing over and over uh, that what happens in this house stays in this house. You don't talk about anything that happens in our community outside the community. You don't talk to the police. Uh, you don't show signs of weakness. And if you experience depression or anxiety, that's a sign of moral or spiritual weakness, which is not permissible. I was told that as black people, we survive slavery, we can survive anything, which meant I didn't have the right to be depressed. I didn't have the right to experience anxiety. All of those things play into the way that we normalize and socialize the conversation. And I believe that part of the reason that we see the rise in suicide rates uh, in black and brown communities is because we have not created avenues to talk about those challenges. We have not given per people permission to talk about those challenges. And one of the challenges too with, with the faith-based community is that um, I know from growing up that in the African-American church, it is also very much a male-dominated environment. And where men don't want to talk about things, they don't get talked about. And men were not permitted to talk about being vulnerable. Men were not permitted to talk about uh, things that could be characterized as weakness. All of that has uh, culminated into this code of silence around suicide and around mental health challenges. Now I think that we are seeing uh, the, the tide change in that area. I think in part because, uh, for one, I do believe over the past year, if, if anything uh, good has come of this pandemic, it has, I think, made it easier for us to talk about mental health challenges because I think many people are, are better able to see themselves or see themselves on the behavioral health spectrum in ways that they had not been able to see themselves before. They never knew before how close they could be to anxiety, how close they could be to depression. So I think those conversations have opened up. But I think the other thing that we've seen over the past few years uh, is that we've seen um, athletes talk about their mental health challenges. We've seen celebrities talk about their mental health challenges. And I think that resonates with young people. I think the other thing is that uh, social media, for all, all of its flaws, it does 
permit people to connect. So you are able to connect with other people who are experiencing the same challenges that you are. And so I think that changes the way that we have a lot of those conversations around uh, mental health and mental wellness. I go back to my experience growing up in the church. Um, that was where I was socialized. Kids today are not socialized in the church. They're socialized in conversations with people who may live in another country. And so they're able to, to really talk more about the challenges that, that they're facing and normalize their conversation. We have seen nationally, um, statistics say we've seen about a threefold increase in reports of anxiety and depression. Uh, we've also seen a significant increase in uh, opiate deaths. Now that's an interesting subject for black and brown people because when black and brown people talk about the, the, the opiate crisis, of course it sparks um, conversation about when it was crack it was criminal and, and now that it's affecting white people it's, it's a disease and we have all these resources available for it. Um, but when I think about all of this in totality and how it impacts black and brown people, you still can't even factor that out. First of all, uh, over the past year we have seen um, the, the disproportionately bad outcomes of black and brown people at the hands of law enforcement. And I think we all have a different lens. And, you know, again, I often talk about people's perspectives and how perspectives are different in part based on your life experience. Based on my life experience, when I see George Floyd, I see myself. I see that could have just as easily been me. When I see Armand Arbery, I have a 28-year-old son. Um, I see my son. And so I think it's, it's different, different if you are seeing it through the lens of a person outside of their community versus a person inside their community. Because another, another thing that I, you know, I think about in terms of how we, um, how we personalize things is that we all think in terms of our community. And I think our community changes depending on the, the situation and circumstances. You have the law enforcement community, you have the medical community, you have the African American community. And I think over this past year, uh, for black and brown people, and for black people in particular, I think we have been uh, um, more likely to focus on how things impact the black community because we've had to see things through that lens, uh, and I've had to see things through the lens of a black man. How does this impact me as a, as a black man? And so when I think about all of those things, I think about how did the pandemic impact black and brown people? Disproportionately bad outcomes. How do encounters with law enforcement impact black and brown people? Disproportionately bad outcomes. Um, how does uh, anxiety and depression and suicide impact black and brown people? Statistics are showing disproportionately bad outcomes. But where is our focus? Our focus is on opiates. And that's admirable. We need to focus on opiates. But we can't deny the fact that a lot of black and brown people are still dying by, from alcoholism. Uh, we have black and brown people that are still addicted to crack cocaine. We have black and brown people that are still serving um, decade and double decade long sentences for marijuana charges. And so again, if I look at all those things through the lens of a black man, I again see a disproportionately bad outcome. And all of that over time takes impact, it, it impacts your, your, your mental wellness.